put a nickel in me, I'm going to start talking. Stay in the same place, you really are, are you're regressing. Immerse yourself in it because you just feel strongly about it. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. I've been logging some serious screen time hours during this last week. I've just launched a website to help promote the podcast, as well as serve as a useful platform to host contributor bios, related links and resources, It's also a great place for you to leave any comments or feedback for the show. Check it out at www.theavalanchehour.com. You, our community, helped get this show off the ground with our Indiegogo campaign. We thank you for all your support. If you missed out on that, you can still help support the show by purchasing some stickers, a sweet trucker hat, or a shirt right from the website. If that sort of merchandise isn't your thing, but you still want to support the show, there's a link on the website to Patreon. Patreon allows you to donate any amount of money per episode that I release. For more information, go to theavalanchehour.com. Thanks for the help. Can you smell it? The big old pot of change is simmering away on the stove. What the hell am I talking about? Well, the structure of avalanche education in the United States, of course. There's been a tremendous amount of research, debate, and work that has been put into revising the structure and progression of avalanche courses within the U.S. There are many providers of avalanche education within the U.S., such as ARI, AAI, the Alaska Avalanche School, and the Silverton Avalanche School, to name just a few. The American Avalanche Association can be seen as the entity that has and continues to help develop guidelines for current and future education programs amongst the providers. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Kirk Bachman. Kirk is currently the chair of the American Avalanche Association's Education Committee and has deep roots in the guiding and avalanche education world. He helps shed some light on why these changes are being made and what they will look like. This interview is a bit long, so I've split it up into two episodes for your listening pleasure. Here we go with Kirk Bachman. Kirk, I was hoping you could just give an introduction to yourself um, and and your role with the AAA. All right. Uh, Well, thanks, Caleb. Uh, Good to be here. And uh, yeah, I've been in the avalanche education business for a long time and mainly through the perspective of an outdoor educator and a guide and uh, grew up in this part of the world, Idaho, Wyoming, uh, the kind of northern Rockies, if you will. Um, but it's always been kind of, you know, linked to my passion for the mountains and the winter environment and formally uh, have been involved in avalanche education um, since the late 70s when I uh, graduated from college uh, and uh, took my first courses on Teton Pass with Rod Newcomb and uh, have been involved with the AAA um, since, you know, for probably 20 years now. And uh, because avalanche education was kind of linked to 
my winter guiding in particular, uh, understanding avalanches and also, uh, you know, managing risk, um, while you're moving people around the mountains, it's been a formal process that I've been engaged with the um, avalanche education world um, along with the guiding world over that span of time up to now. And uh, um, so um, a lot of that has has been being on the road with avalanche education and training uh, as it's gone through its various evolutions. Um, You know, as I say, those first courses that I took uh, on Teton Pass were my formal start along with some of the education I took with my program while I was at the university at Idaho state and, uh, and then being vocationally on the road as a guide and, and, uh, here now in the Sawtooth when we started our, uh, winter business in 85 and put huts up in avalanche terrain, it really drove and spoke to the question that, Hey, we need to have a real, um, proactive way of, engaging people in understanding avalanches and that was really the genesis of the sawtooth mountain guides uh, avalanche education program and that's been going on here now for uh, over 30 years and uh, we've taught a lot of courses over that time span and uh, as at avalanche education has evolved we've uh, uh, engaged with a lot of different other avalanche education education programs and professional organizations in the avalanche community and my role as education chair uh, for the American Avalanche Association is just kind of helping steer that bus um, so I've been in uh, kind of in the driver's seat on some of these topics uh, that are avalanche education related but uh, that's that said it's a bus composed of a lot of individuals. So um, it's really just kind of as much as anything being a facilitator for some of the conversations um, that um, the ProRec project in particular has uh, undergone. And, uh, you know, I feel I have a pretty good sense of, of both the history of avalanche education as well as where we're at now. But specifically, uh, I've always looked at it in the context of what uh, our needs were operationally with Sawtooth Mountain Guides. And um, so that's kind of the short take on my background. Great. Um, so I'd like you to just explain, in, in your opinion, and maybe speaking for the education chair from the AAA, why, why was there a need in the revision of avalanche education within the U.S.? Um, so what, what spawned this need to create the pro-rec split, which is really uh, the heart of the topic for today. Yeah. Well, we, uh, as a part of the uh, AAA, I'm going to just not always refer to it as American Avalanche Association. We'll drop the AAA and refer to the association that way. But um, we held a meeting in October of 2013 to raise this question. I mean, it was raised in the form of the question, uh, question of whether the current uh, guidelines for avalanche education and training in the U.S. were satisfactory or what kind of changes did we need to consider. And uh, that forum in October of 13, which was in Snowbird, Utah, and it was linked to um, some 
snow avalanche workshops that were going on there at the time, as well as the National Avalanche School had just wrapped up. Um, so we had managed to compile a really broad cross-section of very engaged uh, avalanche industry uh, representatives. And at that meeting, we basically considered um, where we were at with avalanche education, and it was kind of the uh, consensus and outtake from that meeting that uh, moving forward, avalanche education would benefit if we split the recreation and professional tracks. And there were a number of specifics that we addressed that really uh, spoke to why that was the situation, why we felt that there was a little bit of uh, those two user groups, the recreation and the pros, weren't getting the level of avalanche education training that they could be, um, and, and we felt that part of that was the fact that the two audiences in the uh, old paradigm um, of avalanche, U.S. avalanche education, were those audiences were mixed. Um, you know, you have your let you had your level one, you had your level two, and it was particularly at the level two level of training where um, we were beginning to try to address professional sides of the of avalanche training in terms of uh, standards and um, the need to keep records and things like that and um, while that was an important element of what was needed on the pro side of things it sometimes felt like for recreationists that was less important to them as an objective and under the current uh, old program um, that was the situation the level two was a very hybridized course so we really started to consider well what would be a better way to move forward and that's what led to hey let's separate these two streams of avalanche education and try to do a better job um, in developing a education stream for both audiences and so for recreationists, that meant um, building out a set of courses that they, an, a recreationist would actually want to take, that there was something there that was even better for them after they took a level one, for example, that there were ways that we could make avalanche rescue um, more robust for recreationists. Um, and a second course following a level two would really speak to people that had some experience moving around in the mountains, but really could continue to build and refine um, things they really wanted to learn or address um, that they were encountering when they were skiing with their own uh, friends or partners. And so, and at the same time on the pro side, we were really looking to develop a roadmap uh that entailed more consistency as to how um, professional snow avalanche workers in the U.S. train and um, that there was already some existing professional programs, but in the, in that um, vein, a lot of those programs all had kind of things that they emphasized and there was some overlap, but there was often some lack of consistency between the programs. So for the pro side of things, we felt we could do more in flushing out a more formal program that offered more consistency uh, to the participant or the student that's matriculating through these pro courses, as well as for the operations that we're providing 
the training and so that there was the ability to um, be have more reciprocity between the programs because they were emphasizing more common themes and more emphasizing consistency in how they evaluated their students. And so the AAA is, has been a big part of coming up with some of those standards for both the recreational track and the professional track. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. And, and uh, I mean, the American Avalanche Association's role in overseeing these changes um, really, I mean, the, we have been responsible, that is the AAA, for uh, developing guidelines for avalanche education. Um, in part, the reason the AAA is that um, entity is that it's really an association of avalanche professionals and it, and it's an association for the avalanche community that really is a unifying organization. So, I mean, that's the rationale as to why the American Avalanche Association takes on this role is they're really there for everyone in the industry. They're not really um, just um, a faction that's in bed, if you will, with just one end of the or one particular aspect of the avalanche industry it's a it's a broad-reaching association that strives to promote professionalism um, and standards i mean the the mission of the uh, aaa is it promotes and supports professionalism and excellence in avalanche safety education and research in the united states so it's it's there to embrace all of those things for everyone and specifically to the guidelines we've taken on the role um, uh, that's been um, empowered to us, the, the AAA, to develop guidelines. And so not only uh, do we have the old guidelines, but moving forward, we have these new guidelines for both recreationists and pros. And um, on the pro side of things, we will, we will continue the AAA to um, help oversee and support um, individual programs, whether they're, um, so that if they're running pro programs, they can, um, strive to be consistent and, um, and endorsed and approved at a professional standard. So Kirk, I was hoping that you could describe a little bit the course progression for both tracks. Um, and maybe it, it might be helpful to give a little bit of a background of, of what, it has looked like up through this winter and then what the changes will be for, for next winter for somebody looking to either jump into avalanche education from the get go or progress their, their current educational track. If they're already midstream, so to speak. Yeah. Well, so we've got the two tracks, if you will, the recreation track and the pro track. So I'll start with the, the recreation track, um, a lot of the lower end uh, programs that we've all formally um, been familiar with. I mean, how do you, you ask yourself, well, how does one get exposure to avalanche education? And you have what we call the awareness level courses or the introductory courses. And those things are all uh, disseminated through a variety of people come in contact with those initial exposures to avalanche awareness or introduction in a variety of ways, either through shops, through 
avalanche centers through guide services, outdoor schools, um, or industry reps um, that are representing gear. I mean, any there are a number of ways that people get introduced to avalanche training uh, at the intro or uh, awareness level. And so as it was in the past, that will continue to remain in the future. I mean, those gateway programs play a vital role in introducing folks to avalanche education and the AAA fully supports the industry and those uh, various paths that people um, start getting um, their initial a- avalanche education. So um, what we've done with the new rec guidelines is really th- be- tried to update and revise um, the additional courses b- beyond the um, introductory courses. And so that entails the level one, uh, the level two, and the avalanche rescue course. I mean, those things, level one and avalanche rescue, both have, um, were already around. Um, and those courses are similar in their objectives. Um, I mean, uh, avalanche rescue, for example, is a standalone course, and it's a course that everybody needs. It was formally referred to as companion rescue, and it was, a, um, according to the guidelines, a five-hour course. And so with the new guidelines, we're updating that in, uh, to an eight-hour course. And as I say, uh, we're referring to it as avalanche rescue now. And um, the all of the things that were uh um, emphasized with companion rescue are still there and part of that course. There's probably a little bit more um, robust uh, uh, practice with the various skill sets as it relates to um, managing a, a, a response on a companion rescue for yourself, your own party, or a nearby a party nearby. Um, you would have the um, you know elements of skills in um, managing the group out there to respond, um, using your beacon, probing, shoveling, and realizing that there's all kinds of techniques that can go, go along with all of that. Um, but the added time would also be spent thinking a little bit more on how to respond once you've recovered somebody. You know, what else is involved? Do you have to bring in outside help? Um, what are some of the uh, extenuating circumstances related to some medical issues you may need to be dealing with. And so it's just a more robust, as I say, course that uh, formerly as companion rescue maybe wasn't as addressed as thoroughly as we'd like to see. And so with the new course, we're hoping people also start kind of thinking about, um, you know, the importance of being able to get somebody uh, not only recovered out of the snow, but what to do with them um, in once they're recovered, you know, um, transporting them, the medical part of it and et cetera, et cetera. So that's some of the revisions on avalanche rescue, the level one, um, there are certainly parts of it that remain from the old traditional level one. But, um, the big thing in all of this is to recognize the role of technology that it has played in some of the changes that are taking for place. So the more uh, updated curriculums involve what you have access to uh, as a, as a um, person potentially heading out into 
the mountains in, at a level one, we very much want people to read, be able to read and understand an avalanche bulletin. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to all of the fundamentals uh, that are needed, I mean, there's just a lot of really good products out there on the internet, online, that that required modernizing the level one and uh, really making sure people were taking advantage of all the information that's out there and the critical role that avalanche bulletins and, and forecast centers play to anyone entering the backcountry. So it's an, a formal, formal treatment of the avalanche bulletin as a resource, as a critical resource at the level one level. And um, trip planning, um, obviously get exposed to travel protocols at a basic level, um, you know, how to manage your risk at a basic level and how to make good decisions. But in the outtake and all of this is you really on a level one, though, starting to build out the student's toolbox of, of resources and hopefully develop a competent tour companion. I mean, that's the objective of a level one, mm-hmm. that regardless of, you know, whether you're a group of snowmobilers or you're uh, skiing uh, or riding on um, snowboards or, or touring on skis, that um, after someone has taken a level one training, you feel like with, you have some confidence the person has exposure to a comprehensive set of fundamentals and can be a competent tour companion. And so the level two is really, I mean, our, the history of avalanche education at the recreational side is there's a ton of people that have taken level ones over the years. But in a lot of cases, people don't go on to take their level two. And by separating the recreational track from the pros, we felt that we've done a better job in further developing a, a, what would be a second follow-up course um, after the level one, after somebody has take, got a chance to be trained at the level one, a level, get some experience in the backcountry, and then come back after they felt like, hey, I'm pretty experienced, what's the next step? And, and the level two that we've developed is, we feel a very robust follow-up from a level one. So hopefully it's a course that a lot of folks will want to take because it really does address how to move forward with your avalanche education from a recreational perspective. And and I would uh, differentiate the level one from the level two and that at level one, we're really looking at students primarily working with the avalanche bulletin as that being in, in distracting information from it and then going out and using it to verify what the experts are talking about. And at the level two level, we start addressing um, how do you move into the mountains if you don't have the benefit of an avalanche bulletin? Mm -hmm. And what are the steps and pieces? How would you go about moving into terrain perhaps that you're even unfamiliar with and doing it in a safe and responsible way where you're making good decisions and doing a good job managing your risk? So in a nutshell, that's how the two courses distinguish themselves. In the level two, I mean, you're still going to be providing a strong uh, focus on um, understanding um, snow and terrain and weather at a, a, a little more advanced level than you would at a level 
level one. So building on that as well as um, really getting a better handle on avalanche problems. If there's various avalanche problems out there, what would be a, the right way to go about um, taking um, relevant observations and doing um, the right kind of tests um, to answer the, some of the questions you might be heading into the mountains with. I mean, it's one thing if you understand the avalanche problem, but if you've got to go into an area and figure out what the avalanche problem is, once you do, how do you begin to evaluate the extent of the problem? And, um, I mean, that's all very much linked to um, the... Uh, conceptual model for avalanche hazard, which avalanche forecast centers use as a standard model as to how to build forecasts. And as a level two student, you need to be able to do that as well. And so that's really kind of uh, a key component of a level two student is, is exposing them to that process and realizing that on a level two, though, we would really be just trying to address that question at in a specific specific piece of terrain where the course is being held, it would be more specific in to a, an aspect of a mountain range in the place where you're actually operating and not really trying to build a forecast from a level direct level two. It would be more just hey, having some confidence to move through a, a method of how do I do this and how do I. Um, go into terrain that I maybe need to answer some questions and realizing that there's a method right. to do it. So giving giving students the tools to maybe step into bigger terrain or more unfamiliar terrain and being able to manage that, that risk after they've uh, been able to understand a certain avalanche problem. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, how about how about the pro track on uh, things? Um, the professional side of avalanche education, how is how is that going to be changing? And what are the prerequisites for somebody getting into the pro pro track? Well, so the whole pro track thing, I mean, is is kind of if a person were um, considering moving into the pro track, the the reason for that uh, is that they are on a track to work uh, professionally in the world of snow and avalanches, regardless of whether that's ski patrolling, ski guiding, um, avalanche mitigation through highway programs, um, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I mean, the first step is, I mean, the, as far as the prerequisites are concerned, I mean, in order to enter the pro track, you've got to uh, have the, the level one, um, the rec recreation level one, and the avalanche rescue component. And so those are the two courses that are the prerequisites formally to enter the program. But I'd also preface that by saying that um, another element is to really start uh, by with a, a membership in the American Avalanche Association. I mean, essentially what the association is is a community of avalanche professionals. And so if you're considering the ProTrack, um, we like to see, and it is a requisite that people have membership in the the association, and that provides you with access to a lot of just networking resources and tools that help support professionals. And so, 
those that's the way to begin mm-hmm. and i mean the thing to realize with the um protrack is how it distinguishes itself from the recreational track is you really the focuses of these courses are to really uh engage students that they're part of an operation that they're engaging whether it's they're operating on, through a guide service or they're operating through a formal outdoor program or a highway program or working in a ski area. They're, they're part of an overall operation that addresses avalanche risk management and safety. And uh, so the focus of the courses are really, that's the theme throughout the whole training program. And the pro training program is just what it is. It's a training program. It does not, uh, it, it does not provide you with the, all the requisite skills to actually move into the industry as a job. In other words, if you just because you take a training doesn't, that doesn't, uh, get you, doesn't qualify you for a job. I mean, you, um, with any, pro program there are people that are considering hiring a person and they're not only looking at your training background but they're also looking at your experience how long have you been in and around um the avalanche environment and what what's your you know experience resume work both look like both with work and what you've done on a personal level so this training really needs to be thought of as just a piece of the overall professional program but uh it's broken down essentially into what we call the pro one program. And that may have been at one point kind of a hybrid of the level two. There may be parts of the old level two that exist in the pro one program, but the pro one program really is uh, designed to get people up to speed with their standards as it relates to doing observations, snowpack tests, and working in the context of an operation as a team member. And so that's what Pro, Pro One is all about. What you would be part of a guide team, you would be part of a ski patrol, you'd be part of a highway program. And this is the training piece that helps address the standards that we would like to see everybody in the industry have across the board, regardless of what aspect of uh of a professional track you're in. Um, and, um, but there's an evaluation piece. That's the, the other part of what constitutes the pro program is that every, all skills and standards, if you will, um, that we expect to people to have are evaluated and tested. So at the end of the, of that particular training, we can offer uh, a pass and a certification that these people um, possess these standards that were um, assessed and that they're um, performing them to, you know, at a, a perf- what we consider an acceptable professional standard. So there's the pro one level where you really are emphasizing just working on a team. And then um, there's the pro two uh, second course, which is, really designed for people that have a professional background that have that uh, requisite of pro one training and they're um, set trying to set themselves for being out more in the lead operationally 
And so that would be what uh, differentiates the Pro 1 from the Pro 2. At the Pro 2 level, um, you're, you're exposing the uh, student to what it means to be more on point in an operation if you had to um, develop a, a record-keeping system, for example, um, what what would that look like um, for an operation? If you had uh, to start avalanche uh, an avalanche mapping program for an operation, what would that look like? Um, and taking a systems approach in both cases, um, and then of course the responsibility of overseeing a risk management program for an operation as as opposed to just being um, a member of a team, you're kind of leading the team as it relates to um, your operational risk management and uh, just exposing people what you know would be entailed by being on point. So that's um, how the two courses um, represent themselves. And it's not, they're not designed to be back-to-back courses where one just takes a pro one and takes a pro two. Um, they, there's years of experience that have to fit in there too. And, and I think to, you know, embrace and do the industry, the justice that it deserves. I mean, there's a lot of really solid industry programs out there that, um, these training programs typically pick venues where you can step into existing operations of, things that currently exist in the United States and see how some of these folks that have been doing things for years and years and years go about addressing um, operational um, systems um, with respect to avalanche hazard um, and pick a venue where the student actually gets some exposure to actual applied um, um, operations. So these operations are hosting the pro twos and maybe pro ones and these students get a glimpse into maybe the morning and p.m. guide meetings and taking a look at run lists and and i think that's that can be really helpful to to perspective um to give perspective to those students yeah um, and it's so it's it's really incumbent on the course providers to uh, flush out their venues, but I mean, if you uh, the any of the programs that the AAA would approve, and that's the other piece of this is the professional track is going to be uh, operating under the umbrella endorsement of the AAA that all of the recognized uh, programs that are running uh, um, professional avalanche training programs have been approved by the AAA, and so there's this. Um, relationship that currently is going on with all of the initial programs that are running um, professional training programs. I mean, some of those programs were the same programs that have traditionally been teaching professional training programs, but that said, there are also other programs that are considering um, getting into professional training programs, and I think the the big take-home point here is the importance of recognizing that any professional training program moving forward is going to have a relationship with the American Avalanche Association where there's going to be some um, collaboration and oversight of those programs to ensure that they're uh, considered approved 
professional training programs. And the benefit of all of that is hopefully that these individual pro training programs are going to begin a more active uh, collaboration process that ongoes and the AAA can help facilitate um, that going on, that um, moving forward that are a, a more robust um, professional training program is going to involve more active collaboration between the individual programs and so everybody is constantly considering how things are being done professionally in the U.S. and that in turn, you know, comparing how we do things in the U.S. with how things are going on internationally. It's just mm -hmm. creating a more consistent forum for how professional avalanche training is going on in the U.S., and, you know, historically, that's just a piece that's never really been addressed formally. Um, the Some of the um, training programs took it upon themselves to develop their respective programs, but there hasn't been as much collaboration historically as we want to see moving forward. And, and I, we think that's going to go a long way in just having better reciprocity between the programs, more information sharing, and uh, just a, a better standard across the board because everybody's sharing ideas in terms of how do we continue to move forward and um, embrace professional standards. And, um, you know, and the AAA wants to take an active role in that um, as the kind of parent association for all things uh, avalanche thanks for listening to episode four part one of the avalanche hour podcast i hope it has helped give you a better idea of some of the changes coming down the pipe for avalanche education tune in next time for part two of kirk's interview i'm hoping to release it in about a week's time as I mentioned in the last episode, our friends at Truck Gloves will be giving away a pair of their M1 gloves each episode to a lucky listener. To enter, once I post the link to each episode on the Facebook page, just share it and you'll be entered to win. The last episode's winner was Lloyd Morset of Whitefish, Montana. Thanks for the support, Lloyd. Check out Truck Gloves at www.truckgloves.com and use code AVALANCHEHOUR at checkout for 20% off. Music today was by the talented Adam Cook. Thanks, Adam. Our artwork was produced by Mike T. Thanks, T. As always, we value your feedback. You can now leave it on our new website at www.theavalanchehour.com. Please leave a review for us on iTunes if you feel so inclined. Oregon has just increased their bottle redemption from $0.05 cents to $0.10. Cents. So until we get that big sponsor for the show, I've got a plan. What is this uh, MI 10 cents? Michigan. Michigan, you get 10 cents. 10 cents? Yeah. Wait a minute. You mean you get 5 cents here and 10 cents there? You could round up bottles here and, and run them out to Michigan no, for the difference. it doesn't work. What do you mean it doesn't work? You get enough bottles together. Yeah, you <laughs> overload your inventory and you blow your margins on gasoline. Trust me, it doesn't work. Now, you're not talking that Michigan deposit bottle scam. No, here, no, right? I'm off that. You tried it? Oh, yeah, every which way. Couldn't crunch the numbers. It drove me crazy. <laughs>